Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. In this episode, the editor and author Lydia Wiley Kellerman presents on the book The Sandbox Revolution. And then we have three authors joining us today, all of whom contributed to the Sandbox Revolution. So today we are talking about uh, seeking justice, especially among vulnerable populations. So children, elders, people with disabilities. And in addition to the Sandbox Revolution, Two of our authors, well, actually Lydia has contributed to other books too, but two of our authors have additional books that they are going to um, share some content from also. So uh, welcome, whether you are in youth ministry or uh, congregational leadership or even lay leadership in a faith community, this conversation is for you. So our first speaker, will be Lydia herself. Uh, She is a writer, editor, activist, and mother. And um, she is the editor of this wonderful volume. And I'm really grateful to be part of this conversation today to talk about what it means to root our faith communities in commitments of justice, the way that we can't take the gospel seriously without working towards racial justice and climate justice, disability justice, economic justice, and on and on. These are questions about discipleship, um, and it's a gift to be struggling and thinking through what that means together. I come to this conversation having spent the last several years gathering up stories into the sandbox revolution, raising kids for a just world. I'm the mother of two boys who are now eight and five, And parenting is always begging questions of how to engage their hearts with the world around us. How can I love these kids so that they pour out love onto this fragile, messy, sacred world? What songs do I sing? What stories do I tell? Where do I put my body that helps them show up in the face of injustice? And I'd love to begin just by getting a sense of who's in the room today. I know that we can't see one another's faces um, and we may not all be parents, but all of us love one kid or another. Um, And I think we hold some worry about the futures that they're walking into. So I would love for you to just introduce yourself in the chat in relation to how, to your role with kids these days. Are you a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a godparent, an elder, a neighbor, a teacher? How we raise kids is not just the work of parents. Um, And I know that that's something that church communities know really well. We're loving the next generation, whether we're up in the middle of the night feeding kids or marching in the streets for justice. We're working for their futures, whether we're reading stories or planting gardens to tend the earth that we hope will sustain them in the days to come. The work is wide and love is wide and may we always widen those definitions of family. I'd like to read a little bit of an excerpt from the book, The Sandbox Revolution, that has starts with some stories and questions that came out of my own life that became so strong that I needed to put this book together. Hiding from bears. It was just weeks into preschool when I picked up Isaac, my older son from school, 
We piled into the car and buckled boosters and car seats as Isaac blurted out stories from his day. Mommy, today at school, we had to lock the doors and all hide in the bathroom and be really quiet. Oh yeah, why did you have to do that? In case a bear comes and wants to eat us. Isaac had been told that lockdown drills were, were to protect him from bloodthirsty bears lurking around Southwest Detroit. I didn't envy his teacher's job. How else do you explain to a four-year-old that our country cares more about money and owning guns than it does about the lives of our children? Now at seven, Isaac's taught to hide quietly from bad guys with guns. How on earth do we parent in an age when gun violence is so rampant in this country? How do we work to let our kids feel safe enough to grow and learn? How do we offer different narratives from bad guys with guns? And how do we foster spaces where security is dependent on community, trust, and nonviolence rather than armed security guards and metal detectors? Ultrasound anxiety. Before either of these beloved children was born, I sat in the ultrasound room not once but twice with goop on my belly and anxiety in my heart. I was shocked that I would be the mother of two boys. I never doubted for a second that I would love them, but I doubted my ability to be any good at it. I felt completely unprepared. I had been ready to raise powerful, smart, spirit-driven feminist girls, but boys? And I was thrown off by my reaction because of course, I do believe that gender is a social construct so why the feelings of fear and insecurity? The reality forced me to ask, what does it mean to raise two white boys in a world seeping with patriarchy and white supremacy? How will I teach them to take up less space, to listen first and deeply, and to trust the leadership of women and people of color? And on the other hand, how will I tend to their spirits and encourage them to be fully human in a system that threatens to destroy their souls? How will I invite them into the work of smashing the system and loving the hard work of resistance that will liberate us all? Roots of the maple. Those early fears are hard to remember as I stand in awe of the beautiful boys before me. On a recent spring day, I felt the warm dirt on my fingers and readied the soil for baby kale and broccoli. As I worked, I watched Isaac a few beds away. He'd found a maple seedling growing where tomatoes would soon dwell. He knew that the little tree couldn't grow there, but he couldn't bear to pull it out and throw it into the compost. He spent more than an hour in total concentration, gently pulling the dirt away from the roots, which already reached a full foot. At last, he tenderly pulled out the tree with every root intact, and he moved it by an old stump where Grandpa thought it would be safe. He put the little tree back in the earth and watered her roots. The love this kid has for the earth and her creatures melts my heart. I hold on to that love as I scroll through scientific studies that predict human extinction, perhaps even in my children's lifetime. That reality can knock the wind out of me. How do we raise kids who may well see massive death and destruction of creatures, people, and the environment? What skills will they need? How do we help them keep loving and living in communion with trees and the earthworms? How do we do anything but weep? I have so many questions that ache deep in my being. The answers to these questions are little and big, personal and systemic, and they impact the generations to come. 
I needed to know that there are more people out there struggling with these questions. I needed stories that could offer company, wisdom, and truth in places I could not see. So I began this most selfish of projects. I reached out to parents and grandparents whom I love and whose lives have inspired my footsteps. And I said, tell me some stories, speak vulnerably, help remind us of the wide community of which we're all a part. And that is how the book you hold in your hands came to be. With a love of this world and a commitment to its future, parenting becomes a radical act of resistance and hope. And as I continue to share, I'd invite you in the chat at any point to share some of those questions that are aching in you. Questions that may be unanswerable, but that we can continue to be living into together. Just to say a little bit more about the book, the contributors um, were writers and organizers, pastors, farmers, healers, musicians, storytellers, teachers, and activists. There were young parents and old parents. Some were carrying babies in utero and others loving grandkids. There were fathers and mothers, queer parents, white parents, black parents, Asian parents, Latino parents, indigenous parents. Um, and I'm really grateful for both Janice and my dad uh, for being some of the folks to lay out wisdom and history and blessings on these pages. The book is divided into three sections. The first is the nitty gritty decisions as radical practice. So thinking about questions about education and how we talk about money and where we live and how we teach spirituality. Um, the second is resisting the isms. How do we resist patriarchy and white supremacy and stand for disability justice and climate justice? Um, and the third is reclaiming community. How do we dive deep and root ourselves in the deep and loving arms of community? One of the mysterious things about publishing is never knowing the moment when a book will land. And when I began this book, I never could have imagined this moment. I think parents are incredibly exhausted and weary and lonely after this past year and a half. As we all know, this global pandemic has altered every thread in the fabric of our lives. It's begged questions about work for parents. It's begged questions about school, about how we live in a state of anxiety and fear, how we talk to our kids about it, questions about how we love our neighbors and what mutual aid looks like, and how we grieve and talk about death. And at the same time, in that same span of history, we've also witnessed the murder of George Floyd and the resistance rising up in the streets for racial justice. We've lived through a terrifying election that threatened our democracy. We watched white supremacists clothed in flags and crosses storm the US Capitol. And we continue to bear witness again and again to mass shootings and police killings. And all of these moments in our world beg questions about how we react in our hearts and our bodies and how we engage that with our children. And all of this has been happening while parents have had way less community than they're used to. We don't, we can't send our kids to school or send our kids to grandparents and aunts and uncles and parents are weary. Um, I've been preaching and joining different circles in the last couple of months around this and I'm amazed how quickly parents just start weeping. The exhaustion and loneliness is so deep. Um, and these are the folks who are filling our Zoom room services and who are 
slowly coming back to our church pews. Um, and I'm grateful every time that I hear a parent read the book and say, this is exactly the company that I needed right at the right moment. Um, and I think that's my hope for what our churches can create, our spaces to hold these questions and company for this sacred and hard work. Parenting is intensely personal. Every decision that we make affects the lives and bodies and hearts and future of these kids that we love so much. And yet, the decisions we make are also really political. They live in a web of systems and have political ramifications. But because they're so personal, we so often keep them really private. We don't often talk about it out loud. And so I think that there's an opportunity um, for churches to create a space to, to bring these out loud, to shed light on them, to create a space to bring them into the public. From the very beginning of the book, I was really clear I did not want this to be a book that offered any judgment, that told parents they weren't doing enough, um, or to say that there was a right way to do anything, but that it was company for the questions, that there was vulnerability and imagination. And at best, I think that's what our churches can offer, is to help folks know that they're not alone to create space to ask those, those questions and experiment with the answers without judgment. Um, when we ask those questions in community, our actions become more creative. We have more of a chance at courage to take more risks and the work becomes so much more joyful. It becomes church. Um, and the book is full of so many practical and creative ideas, but one of the continual threads through so many chapters is find yourself some people. <laughs> that we need one another. Community becomes resistance to capitalism's insistence that we have to do this work alone. Community expands the teachers and love that's laid on our children. And so my hope is that our churches become places where we find ourselves some people. May we gather spaces for weeping, for asking questions, for lifting one another up, um, and for finding company in the terrifying work of loving the future into being. So before I open it up for a chance for questions, I also wanna share a couple resources that I think are useful for churches. One is this, we put together um, a study guide for the book. So for each chapter, there's definitions and questions and activities. Um, and I think it's a book that really lends itself really well to be read in community, because I think in so many ways, the book is a circle of folks sharing stories and to expand that circle even wider in more stories um, and community is a great gift. So um, that's on the sandboxrevolution.com and we'll share the link as well. Um, and we also put together a list of children's books. So for each chapter and each theme in the book, there's a list of four, five, six books for kids at different ages. And so if your churches are looking to grow a library of really wonderful books at the intersection of, of justice, I highly recommend these books as well. Um, so I'll stop there and hope to have a couple minutes for, for questions. There's a question in our chat of what connection would you say there is between your vocation as writer and as mother? Mm. That's not a small question. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a small question. Uh, and I haven't, I've actually think, thought about that some lately and I think um, that in so many ways, writing is 
how I slow down enough to pay attention to the parent that it's, you know, parenting in some ways moves really quickly. And so there's this chance of saying, I'm going to pause and I'm going to see the meaning and have a chance to, to honor it um, and to learn from it. Um, but I also think that parenting has made me a better writer um, because I am working on a different sense of time. There's not, you can't think about productivity and sort of capitalist time. You're sort of more on what I think is known as Kairos time, you know, that I might spend an hour outside staring at an earthworm. And that's just part of the work of parenting. But that also slows me down in a different way of learning to pay attention and, and engage the world in a different way um, that strengthens my writing. I, I've, I've often thought about becoming a better writer when I was breastfeeding because I'm usually a very, very quick writer. Um, and suddenly I had all this time where I couldn't do anything. I couldn't hold anything in my hands. I just had all this time in my head um, and I would pause. I just had, I might be able to write in my head, but I could only write enough what I could remember. So it might mean I'd spend 20 minutes on one sentence. And so I had more time to write slowly and to think more about craft and words. Um, and that was a real, a great gift. So I love, I love it together. It's a really beautiful journey. G's Magazine. Would you like to just tell us what that is, Lydia, and the um, study guides you have with that? Yeah, that's another piece of my work as the editor of G's Magazine, which is a quarterly ad-free print magazine um, at the intersection of art, activism, and spirit. Um, and so our last issue was on resurrection. We're about to have an issue coming out on food justice. And this fall, fall we're gonna be looking at dismantling white supremacist theology. Um, and with each issue, we put out a study guide that also has activities and questions. Um, and our hope creating a print magazine is such a countercultural thing these days to not have it online. But we think there's something really sacred about being able to hold something in your hands and to engage it in community. So there are church groups that read it together and use the study guide. And I think it's a great, another great place to dive deeper into lots of stories and art around justice. 